Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello, and welcome to Safety Talk. I am your host and personal safety expert, Pete Canavan. I'm joined by my colleague, branding and social media expert, Neil Haley. How are you today, Neil? I'm doing okay. You want to know what I'm watching on Netflix? Just kidding. No. Is, uh, you don't want to know what I'm watching on Netflix yet? No. I finished a couple things, but yeah, uh, I'm doing great. Uh, With everything I, I, you do, I don't know how you find time to watch TV, man. I barely have time no, to watch No, I watch it on the computer and I'm doing my work. It keeps me... It keeps me uh, around late nights get things done so i don't fall asleep so you know multitasking exactly well i can it's i guess that's considered multitasking because i you're used to things in the background and be able to work but other things now oh well hey that's all right um well, uh, so what we uh, start off with, uh, you know, taking things down a little bit um, because, you know, we always talk about some current safety news. And unfortunately, you know, we had um, a, a, another shooting. It's amazing at a, at a synagogue at a, or a church rather in California. And it's amazing because it seems like these houses of worship have become like the new favorite target for mass shooters. And I don't know why, other than the fact that, you know, they apparently are, you know, Obviously, they're, they're very soft targets. You know, people are not paying attention to what's going on because they're, you know, they're ingrained in, in what's happening, you know, in their services and they're praying and they're meditating. And then, uh, you know, you have somebody like this shooter who comes in who this guy was apparently inspired by the, the shooting in New Zealand uh, last month. And it is just senseless hate and the lack of feeling and empathy and the mental illness that, you know, really contributes to these horrible, horrible tragedies. And we can only, you know, hope that we get better about identifying those who seek to per perpetrate these, you know, atrocities. And over the last couple of weeks on this show, we had people who I interviewed that were behavioral analysis and uh, also artificial intelligence experts. So if you haven't listened to those interviews, uh, go back and listen to the last couple of episodes because it was very interesting in terms of what is now able to be done and sort of determine the actions or the potential or possible future actions of an individual. And it's getting pretty scary with the accuracy that can happen. So it's uh, very, very interesting. Now, our guest today uh, is a longtime senior executive and the CEO of Technovation Solutions out of Las Vegas, Nevada, a company she started in 2013. And for the last 25 years, she has been specializing in business development and strategic partnerships. Uh, she has a full technology consulting firm and has been focused on being, being, uh, bringing rather the best products and technologies to a wide variety of industries. And uh, they've been focused on security. And uh, that is why we have her on the show today. So we'll have to talk about that. But our guest today is Peg McGregor. And so welcome to Safety Talk, Peg. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Sure. We're so Absolutely. glad you're here. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, anything... Uh, you know, they can be done to improve personal safety or to get another perspective on something that's happening safety-wise or security-wise is what the show is all about. You know, what we can do to improve someone's personal safety, what we can do to improve safety and security in the online world, in the offline world, and everywhere in between. And, uh, of course, we also seek out the newest solutions. Uh, now, you have clients uh, across uh, many different industry sectors, right? Hospitality and healthcare and education, government, and... Um, you basically work as a like a technology sort of general contractor creating businesses or partnerships for businesses, correct? Correct. That's exactly right. So we aggregate partners at the center and uh, they do a variety of different things, everything from front of house to back of house. Um, obviously, our security and safety tends to be more back of house, but certainly all, all across the board. Well, uh, absolutely. Know, <laughs> it's one changed, of the things, hasn't it, Pete? It's gone unbelievable when you're talking about safety and security the nuances of this process and the uh, the kind of things that need to be done now today than 20 years ago it's i remember when cctv cameras came out and everyone was saying oh you know there's just something but now it's just like mind-blowing in so many ways technology is just evolving in every possible you know place and you know one of the things that is un unfortunately important today is that we, you know, we have to deal with these new threats that uh, come into public spaces. And then, 
you know, we have companies like, you know, Pegs Technovation that offers a variety of different technology solutions, right? Because you deal with facial recognition and biometrics and panic buttons, et cetera, correct? Right. We deal with it across the board. We deal with mapping technologies that actually 3D map a property so we can actually see the property, all the floors in the property. Um, with Bluetooth beaconing, we're actually able to locate specific people and um, and determine whether they're safe or not safe. It's, uh, it's really amazing what's happened in the last five to 10 years around that. Video management systems are sort of a hub for a lot of it, but not certainly not the, the end all of, of security for, at this point. What about mass notification systems? Are you seeing that as more of sort of like a hub where a lot of these things are starting to sort of uh, integrate with mass notification? Yeah, that's become a really huge issue, right? So most of the properties that we deal with, the healthcare institutions that we deal with and so on have, you know, a variety of different standard operating procedures and incident reporting procedures and that sort of thing. Um, what happens, though, in the middle of a crisis is everybody is really worked up. They're really concerned. They're trying to get to local first responders. They're trying to get to staff. They're trying to get to the public, whatever the case may be. And without those uh, mass communication communication systems and a, and a really well-defined um, crisis management system or in incident management system, those, those things fall apart really, really quickly in an incident. So I, I'm seeing what's happening when you're talking about all these different security devices and technology that you need to have the best integration system that integrates all those things into one, being able to manage it in one false swoop providing all these different things in a way that's easy for the end user in so many ways the way it's exactly so so and you need that not only in terms of the front end part of an incident when an incident occurs right. but also on the back end right Correct. so you be able to pull all of those different pieces together um, from the video management system, from whatever mapping you're doing, all of that sort of stuff together so that you can actually build the forensic files you need to be able to report back to um, law enforcement, but report back to insurance companies, whatever the case may be. And without getting that integration effectively, um, you tend to have some real issues. And especially if they're staying, if they're standalone certain products that are out in VMS out there, and they say they're not going to be able to integrate, they only integrate with their products and services, it really makes it difficult for a customer that's trying to get certain uh, types of uh, technology integration like you provide. Meaning, you can't, if they say, hey, you have to stick with these cameras or you have to stick with this access control, it really makes things challenging in, in a lot of ways. And, it, it does make it really challenging. And, and so what we tend to do um, as an organization is really look at products and technologies that have SDKs, open APIs, where we can absorb For the specific sure. pieces and points of information that we need so that we have a complete solution. We like to refer to it kind of as a single pane of glass, right? That um, we can have the feeds from the VMS, we can have the feeds from um, a beaconing system, et cetera, et cetera, from panic, from, from communications, all of those feeds coming into a single pane of glass so that those folks in security and law enforcement who need that information and need it at their fingertips to be responsive and, and assist in an incident, have that information available to them without that there's just potentially a lot of chaos around what's what's going on. Um, senior executives need to know what's going on. Um, C-suite executives, they need sure, to Sure, everyone. Yep. So it's it's really about getting across the board. What are some of the, uh, the technologies you're seeing the most interest in uh, right now that companies are looking at to improve security? Um, so obviously one of the one of them is is the use of panic buttons, right? So whether you're talking about hospitality or healthcare, oh, wherever you might be, panic buttons are a really big issue. Um, the the thing that we're seeing almost across the board, though, whether it's a panic button or some of the facial recognition technologies that allow us to identify, you know, a bad actor or a known convict or pedophile, God forbid, whatever. Um, the real issue we have with them is, is sort of the, the continuing stress between um, a company's responsibility for duty of care um, against privacy. And because some of these technologies are so new, you're seeing adoptions, adoption rates taking place 
relatively slowly because of that conflict. How do we protect, um, say, the, the housekeeping staff in case of a potential assault as they walk into a room, but at the same time not violate their privacy while they're on the job, you know, walking from room to room doing their job? The tracking of them is it, potentially problematic. Well, it's definitely we- a trade-off with the, the safety versus the privacy. Right. And I think that's the biggest problem that we're seeing pretty much everywhere. everywhere. I mean, I've heard like certain synagogues will not and churches will not film inside the church or synagogue, not allow cameras in those specific areas. And that really drives an issue because you, yeah, you can get the access controls. I was talking to one of my colleagues uh, today. Yes. um, Definitely. They're big for access control. A lot of these uh, big churches and synagogues, however, they don't want cameras where they worship. And if somehow they've infiltrated, it's too late. Right, Peg? Right. right. Once she, once so, she, yeah. That's where some of the other technologies really become interesting, right? So you don't want access control inside the temple, uh, sorry, um, facial recognition inside the te- temple or in, in cameras or, sorry, using cameras that way or in a hotel room or in a hospital room. You don't want those kinds of intrusive technologies in there. So it's really in that case more about protecting perimeters. So allowing only the people who should be there to get access to it. How do you protect a maternity ward from, um, God forbid, an infant being kidnapped, you know? So it's controlling not only staff access, as opposed to filming that infant all the time, it's controlling people who have access into the nursery or into the maternity ward itself. It's controlling people who are allowed to walk into the synagogue. If they're you know, somebody who's known to be a convict who has had um, violent acts in, its, in their history, that's somebody that we can recognize uh, with an integration with a local police department or various police departments and know that, know that they're bad actors. And that should alert a security guard before that person even gets access to the temple. Exactly. Uh, Great point. Great point. There's other solutions out there that actually allow you um, on the perimeter to to really set up what we call virtual perimeters and trip wires that allow you to using a combination of things like facial recognition, known bad actors. Um, when somebody's trying to climb a fence, we can actually detect that and know that somebody's climbed a fence or the sound. try to be proactive. Definitely. Right. So it's it's more about trying to come up with that fine line between violating privacy um, of an individual or the HIPAA rules and regulations um, against um, trying to be proactive and, and keep people out of areas that they shouldn't be in. That's I was great, just that's looking at some of the, the stuff around the VA for a, a job I was looking into, and they have all kinds of stuff. They want you to take all these uh, sort of little training videos to make sure you understand fully and completely how seriously they take the privacy of the people that are working there and how you have to handle that privacy and what you can and can't do with that information. And if you see information that you're not supposed to see, what are you supposed to do? And it's like, there are so many things that you have to be aware of today because of that exact point that you, that you said, Peg, is that they, you have to find this fine line, but then you have all these other compliance issues like with HIPAA where you can't say certain things because it's violating somebody's privacy. But at the same time, it's like, well, if the expense is the safety and security, now what do you do? And, and well, so here's think- a classic example, right? So you could put facial recognition into a school and hopefully prevent kids who have been expelled and, and are on a tear and want to do harm to somebody in the school, out of the school. But are you really going to take the face of the picture of every child in that school and load it into a database? And if you That's- do so... How are mom and dad going to feel about that? You know, and yet mom and dad are probably posting soccer pictures of, you know, little Johnny and Susie on their Facebook page. So that balancing act is a really tricky one. And it makes it such a challenge because the fact that you talked about the amount of time you're depending on the end user, how much time they want to put into all the technology that can be provided. It's not worthwhile for like a school district to put all these different uh, bells and whistles into their security team if they're not going to implement them. If they're not going to use them, they don't have the team that can 
make sure that this comes through. Make sure that they are getting all the pictures so that they can do facial rec. All these things. So that's the problem in a lot of ways is what kind of security team, right? Does that- well, and and the problem goes a little bit deeper than that. It's not just in terms of the capability of the security team and sort of and the staff on prem, but it's also, um, you know, with technology. If you don't have adequate bandwidth, if you don't have uh, Bluetooth beacons, if you don't have good internet coverage the greatest technology in the world isn't going to help you because it's not going to work effectively, right? So there's a whole series of things that you have to look at. Having said that, there's some really, um, really nice new sort of, I would call them low tech um, capabilities for schools around locks that have been patented that allow um, you to lock a door from the inside and lock down um, yourself and children in place to hopefully um, you know, protect against an active shooter environment, things like that. Like those things that slide into the door and lock the door so it can't be opened? Correct. So that's so incredible. Simple, but very effective and cheap. Exactly. And and manufactured in such a way that even if you're in a first grade class, a child could do it. Let's say a teacher's right. been injured and they slam the door shut based on instruction and they could actually lock this door from the inside instead of a teacher having to go outside, lock the door and, and yank it shut. Right. So it's a simple process. So, you know, we, you, you kind of have to evaluate the environment and, and the ability of that environment to, to manage, you know, um, technology sure. and then, sort of build that process up for them. Now you were talking about, uh, we were talking about panic buttons a little bit, and then I want to talk a little bit more about those because they are a, a great resource if you have access to them and, and ready access to them. Um, what are your thoughts regarding the legislation that surrounds them? So I think the the reason for the legislation was all really um, rational, right? There, there are any number of incidents at any given point in time in, in a hotel room, in a hospital environment. You have a, a drug addict walking into an ER hoping that, you know, because the last ER wouldn't give them their dose of opioids, they can get it here. When they don't get it, they start threatening staff. They threaten people in the waiting room. Um, it's really great if you have a little, if a nurse or a physician has a little panic button in their pocket or the housekeeper has a panic button in their pocket, can push it. Depending on the technology, you can probably locate that person within a meter. Um, if the person is assaulted and starting to be dragged away, you can still keep track of where they are. So I think there's real upside to it. Again, there's all, there's some union issues around it in terms of you know, can you actually track that person all the time, which is why some of the panic button technologies now don't activate from a tracking perspective until the panic button is pushed. Yeah, one of the companies that uh, I'm doing some work with that was down at ICS, ISC West with uh, with us, Neil and I are both there, uh, is a company called Safecard. And they actually have a, an ID badge holder. So if you have your regular swipe card, it slides into the badge holder, locks it in, and now creates a token that locks that card to the holder, and it's got a panic button. So you wear it on a lanyard like your regular you know, ID badge, but if you run into a problem, you can hit that button. It'll send your location to a central monitoring station where there's a you know, public safety office at a school or a security office at a, you know, at a hospital or something like that, and now they know where you are. It'll pop up on the screen who it is. And uh, and then help can be sent, you know, right away. So I mean, the technology is 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 evolving rapidly. And uh, you mentioned, you know, different communications protocols. I don't know um, if you're familiar with the the new LoRa technology. It's been out for a little while, but it's getting more and more popular in this country. And uh, it doesn't rely on Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or cellular. So it's a proprietary wireless protocol that is amazingly accurate and super uh, inexpensive. When you when you look at you know rolling it out because it can be done in a sort of in a private network basis, um, so it's very very interesting and um, so I mean it, it, it's just neat to see so many new technologies and the innovation behind them to address the needs of people because as you said you know you never know it could be right. some sick individual who's looking for medication uh, or it could be an actual threat like uh, you know an active shooter uh, somebody who's who's bent on harm from you know from the time they they screw their head on that morning wrong. <laughs> right? right. And, and decide that they're going to do something, uh, you know, to harm and injure other people and innocence, uh, whether it's, you know, a hospital or a, a school or a church or whatever. 
Um, and I think it's that what's usually the case, right, is that um, technology develops really quickly and you you go from basic to much, much more than basic and it gets it, it improves more and more and more. And the problem is that from a social and legal perspective, it's really challenging to keep up with that. Definitely. So, Very difficult for that part know, of it to keep up. I mean, I'm in right. IT. I've been an IT consultant for you know 25 years going on now. And the way things change so rapidly in IT, I mean, you turn around and things are outdated before you know it. And then when you try to have, you know, legislation or policies or procedures written by a company or by a government based on that technology, by the time it's done and it goes through all the red tape, it's irrelevant. You it's irrelevant. go back to the strawing board again. It's almost crazy. That's right. So, so it, right. those are the challenges that we seem to really run into on a, on a regular basis, right? Especially with facial recognition. Right. Because now you're knowing who that person is. You've got it in the database. How are you encrypting that? Right. How are you printing exactly. it, et cetera, right? So it, it has all the same issues as, as any cybersecurity situation would be. One so, of the, uh, the things you talked about is uh, the, the difference between the uh, hospitality security versus healthcare security. And I, I think I might know what that is, but maybe you could sort of explain it uh, for the listeners who may not understand the difference because they kind of sound the same. Well, so I'm not so sure that they're all that different. They're different and sort of the same at the same time, I think. So you're still, you still have a duty of care for your patients, your staff, all of that, the same as anybody does in hospitality. You're probably protecting against different types of things, right? So in a hospital environment, you need to be really active to be able to ensure that you know, God forbid an infant isn't stolen out of, you know, the the um, maternity ward or that your staff is not in an unprotected environment in an ER or something like that. Or somebody doesn't walk in off the street and start going crazy in a lobby in a hospital. Not so different in a casino or in a hotel. Same sort of thing. They're all soft targets. A lot of the difference comes in in terms of what you can integrate into and what kind of data you can pull from that, right? So think of it- Based in a, on like HIPAA compliance yeah, type so, stuff. Right. And and that's no different than, you know, what's what you might say the, the gaming commission would say, you're allowed access to this, but not this, you know, that kind of information or, um, you know, in a more- um, sort of marketing commercial environment where you're you're required to do opt-ins just because of the privacy component and and so in, in a lot of ways all of that's the same um you're but you you're probably protecting for different types of incidents in a lot of cases now when you talk about let's say putting it all together how important is the right analytics for an end user to be able to really identify and go back you archive i'm sure is really important but think about just the analytics portion where you can look at specific thing things you want to monitor on a regular basis and look at reports all those different things how important are analytics in your opinion well so i think it's critical right and now with ai being out there being able to put um, predictive modeling on top of that that's kind of gives you a sense as a security director or um, a CISO, whatever the case may be. It gives you a sense of, you know, there seems to be some real issues here. This is what's happened before, et cetera. So that capability is really critical, which is why we like to talk with clients about having that single pain, right? Being able to, and by pain, I don't mean hurt. Right. I mean, Pain of glass. Pain of glass, if you yes. will. Um, and, and the idea is to bring all of that data together in one place and then have, have an analytic platform that allows folks to quickly make sense of that data and what's going on. That yes. gives them a that that tells them what's going on and tells them what they should be focusing in on. And then sort of the downstream part of that is actually being able to pull all of those different bits and pieces together to actually create the post-incident um, forensic file for analytic purposes internally to improve standard operating procedures, to improve responses, and then also to ensure that all of the things that were done were in fact according to plan, number one, and number two, that the folks who needed to be there got there when they needed to be there. So it's about pulling all of that analytics together, and it's a huge amount of data. 
Um, you know, if somebody's running through a hotel and shooting somebody up, you might have an hour of gosh knows how many different video frames, right? Yeah, that yes, you definitely. Together. So being able to cull that, put some, some, you know, artificial intelligence and predictive capabilities on top of that is really critical to the process. It's amazing what AI can do. And uh, my interview last week, um, you should take a listen. It was it was pretty interesting what, what the woman was talking about, how they're able to so accurately now uh, predict certain behaviors using this because there's so many data points and you just feed them into the computer and the computer just comes back with these, you know, these results that are saying, OK, based on all of this data and, you know, every day that goes by, we're generating gobs and gobs of data and you just keep feeding it into these models so these models just keep getting better and better at predicting certain things unfortunately they're not doing what they can at this point in time to to stop an event at least not yet um but then you kind of get into this little sort of you know minority report type situation where it's like are you arresting people before a crime's even committed well right. i don't know it, you start going down that path and it gets to be a real you know slippery slope uh, when you start looking at that from a privacy standpoint, it's like, well, wait a minute, I, I could have changed my mind. It doesn't mean I was going to do it. I might have thought about doing it, but I didn't do it. So how could you arrest me for something I didn't do? Well, you well, had a 99.99% chance that you were going to do it. Right. <laughs> it's not 100. And, so, and that's that's the problem with the whole process, right? So you have all of this data. You now have systems that allow you to analyze that data and actually build some predictive capability for you. But then you're sitting there with all of the, the risk management team and the legal team legitimately looking at you saying, okay, this is way too big, brother. This is way <laughs> too minority report. And hmm, we need to back off on this a little bit. Yeah, it's a, it's a such a balancing <laughs> act. It's scary, right? It is a balancing act. Well, because I mean, that's like I mean, and that that's I mean, really, it. I mean, where privacy fits in, you know, where where do you see privacy fitting in today's security environment? I mean, it really is it the legal side of it is pulling it in. Is it the the HIPAA side of it is is pulling it back? Is it all of the above? Um, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, and my sense is that it's really all of the above. And, and what you're getting is a lot of folks internally, whether it's in a hospital environment or hotels and casinos and all of that are sitting there looking at it going, there really isn't sufficient case law for us to make good decisions. Um, and so on that basis, they're looking at and having people sign waivers and things of that nature. And maybe that's good enough. And Maybe not, depending on who decides to sue, right? So is that like a level of like quote acceptable risk? Yeah. It's like, well, we can only do so much, and if something happens, well, we warned you, but there wasn't a whole lot we could do to stop it. Well, and there's there's a lot of issue around things like um, if you know that there's technology out there that actually can improve the safety of a soft target and things like that. The question becomes. What is your responsibility as a hotel general manager to do something about that and to put that in place? And if you don't, have you violated your duty of care to your guests and your staff? And then what are your liabilities at that point? It's right. kind of a no-win situation in some ways, right? So that's yeah, the you pull the insurance companies in too. Definitely. Exactly. You know, you know, it's exactly. like, wait a minute, this wasn't our fault that this thing happened. How are we liable? We don't want to pay the money out for these people yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So the biggest challenge you deal with in your job on a regular basis, what is it? Security versus privacy. Really? There you go. Literally. All day, every day. All day. Wow. Because, I mean, at, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. It's like, look, this is what we can do, but people aren't going to go for it. And so, Yeah, how much of it is Big Brother? How much of it is Minority Report? What do we do now? Yeah. And then, you know, like you said, then you have it where – potential solutions come across, right? For right. like a manager or a business owner, it says, look, here's what we could do, but our people are going to go ballistic if we implement this. So we really can't do it. And yeah. then something happens. And now people are like, well, why didn't you do this? So it's like, well, you know, we wanted to, but you know, everybody, you know, rebelled against our, 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 you know, plans to implement that security solution. So it wasn't done. So we made everybody sign a waiver that says, all right, you said uh, you didn't want this. And, you know, 98% of the employees said no. And so we decided that was instead of having anarchy or have all our people quit, quit, you know, we didn't do it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, I said, situation and yeah, everybody's sort of taking baby steps to figure out what the best path forward is. Right. 
So what, um, what would you say that then the challenges would be in terms of maybe educating people on the security side of this, you know, or, or, or around education security, you know, what, what are some of those challenges that you're seeing? So, so I, again, I think it goes back to the whole risk management component and, and the um, ability to really uh, balance that out against privacy, right? So where is it okay to use facial recognition versus should I pick up all the school pictures this year and put that into a database so I can protect those children? Well, certainly we want to protect the kids. It's So it's about educating them about really not so much taking the whole kit and caboodle, if you will, but kind of building into the process in a way that meets their technological capabilities, their internal um, uh, capabilities from a resource perspective, and then doing things that are, are, are likely to maximize security in those environments. And we really spend a lot of time doing on-site surveys and all of that to try to get through that process. In the, in, the tra- this is- in the training process, how much do you involve the security integrator with yourself, especially when you're no, yeah. all the time yeah. at great at great length? It's it's really critical for us. That training process explain how each technology that that integrator has to understand, and from the installation to also the process of working with that end user, and how important that is for them to understand the technology very much and be able to troubleshoot when that technology goes down. So they, it's a process that the security integrator has to put the time and effort into really understanding that product that they're selling. Understanding the product and totally understanding how to use it, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like we say to a lot of our hospitality clients, you can create the best guest experience in the whole world, but if you don't have the infrastructure to support it, it doesn't matter. It's a waste of money, right? right exactly. You can put the most sophisticated security system in place, but if your staff and your team and your standard operating procedures are sub subpar, doesn't matter how good the security system is, it's going to fail you. Or corporate culture. That as well. That's what we mean by staff enablement. Yes. Because, I mean, I have a, a cybersecurity course that I've created, and one of the first things that you need to do when you're doing an evaluation for someplace is not only knowing, looking at what the vision of the company is and what the mission of the company is, but what's the corporate culture? Exactly. Because if you've got the culture, the corporate culture is completely count, running counter to the technologies and the things that you want to implement, then it's never going to work. Exactly right. It's really a challenge. I'm sorry, the... Having some issues with my lights today. Hmm, electricity, I guess, is the issue. My apologies. <laughs> no problem. Um, so, you know, the I think probably one of the best things is to be able to, you know, educate the 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 potential client or the client on all the different solutions that are available, and then say, look, you know, here's where you're going to have to be able to balance your privacy and your security and here are the options that are available and here's what we can implement uh, based on your tolerance for these solutions, as well as obviously your budget and what is your level of risk that you're willing to accept. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Hi, come on in. Come on in. So, I mean, there's, there's definitely challenges and with the technologies and things changing so rapidly, exactly. Just educating people on the choices that are out there can become a challenge in and of itself. Yes, exactly right. We have a real challenge around those kinds of things in terms of being able to educate and move people forward. And you're right. It's a combination of staff resources, what their capabilities are, budget, infrastructure, all of those things. And those are the evaluations that need to take place so that we can ensure that we implement something that will be at least minimally, if not super effective. So who do you work with the most, the end user or the integrator? Both. Both. Which one is the one that leads everything in a way you, you uh, are you well the end user is is the real leader right because mm-hmm. they're defining what their needs are how they need to implement those needs and so on so it's really about getting that end user um, to understand what we're doing how we're doing it what needs to happen the time period that it needs to happen in you know and really understanding what outcomes they're trying to deal with and so it all starts with the end user because without their input, without their understanding of what they're looking at and what outcomes they're looking for, 
um, it becomes a really huge problem. So, and then the system integrator is the second part of the, that equation, right? It's sitting down and saying, okay, so we know what the outcomes are that you're looking for. Here's what we need to do to get you there. And then we sit down and have to map out that budget and help them figure out what they're going to do. And what, and most often what we're doing is road mapping into the ultimate. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, you, and then back are, are you doing a there. lot of the specs in a lot of uh, jobs? Are you involved in a lot of the spec writing? Yeah. Well, we don't ourselves write the specs. What we're doing is putting together specs based on um, all of the different integrations that okay. we have to take place, whether that's a facial recognition technology, whether it's integrating into a life safety system or a panic button system, or whether we're doing 3D mapping, we're sitting down with the integrators and the actual vendors who provide those different services and pulling the spec together. And, and pulling the overall solution together. I got you. So you work with the engineers, you work with everyone in the process, the people that yeah. you know, write the specs to, hey, we're going to spec this for you based on this technology, and then you go into an RFP and see who gets the job. That's pretty much how it works. That's pretty much how it works. Right, exactly. And it's a, it's a process, too, because in this day and age, it's a lot to do with funding, too, a big thing, especially depending on what kind of end user it is, right, how much money they have to fund a, a their, in their security needs. Right. And then depending on who the end user is, in some cases, there's some grants that are available and things of that nature as well. So it just depends on on how that all plays out. The federal government has some grants that are available, particularly on the education side of it. It just, it just depends. It seems and, like they're coming up with a lot more money for that too, because they understand how you know, imperative it is that, you know, schools are adequately protected and people are clamoring for more, you know, they need more border, you know, perimeter security, they need greater control over access to the buildings. And if that is locked down and made very, very effective, the rest of it is secondary. You just got to not have people being able to access the building. And if you can stop them before they even get in, well, guess what? Then that's as far as it's going to get. It's never going to get inside. Exactly. And so and also it's being able to, you know, um, determine how to direct um, first responders, how to direct them, where to direct them. And without having certain systems, it's really difficult to figure that out. Right. So it's about, you know, kind of understanding what the budgetary uh, position of a, of a property or a school might be, understanding you know, what type of students are there? You know, are they are they subject to people who are coming on campus with drugs? And is that what you're trying to protect against? Is that your biggest issue? Or is it a, you know, perhaps it's a really, really high-end private school where there are children of celebrities and things of that who are subject to potentially being kidnapped and things of that nature, right? So it's it's understanding what their their primary concerns are as an end user and then helping them from that outcome that they're looking for, you know, map back into the solutions that they need to put in place and then build some basic roadmap on how to get there over what period of time, depending on what the budgetary constraints. We see privacy as such a gigantic thing in North America. In Europe, a little less. What is your take? Do you think we're too protecting people's privacy or should we go a little bit more like what Europe and and China or I mean different places that use video surveillance and security that that there's just more cameras and more coverage and they're secure more at times where where do you want to see things well because of what I sell I'd like it to be less privacy but from a personal <laughs> let's be really clear uh, you know I don't want uh, cameras all over the place I mean it's not something that I'm interested in but um, at the same time you know I I see both sides of the picture and some of the GDPR requirements are pretty stringent at this point out of Europe so yes. um, you know, Europe doesn't make me any more comfortable. And, and we feel like we're still learning about some of that and trying to get a really good understanding of the implications of it. You know, if we have an international event going on, there's no question that we'll have Europeans there, Asians, you know, from around the world. What do we do about that? How do we protect to maintain privacy here? You've got 50 states with different privacy rules and regulations. How do we ensure that you know, do we do we have to set up so that we're meeting the most stringent, like the Illinois privacy laws, or does that matter? I think it matters. I think it matters tremendously because of the state yeah. we're in. 
I do, and I mean, I think that, you know, how we protected our football stadiums, that's why nothing's happened because of the amount of security and the amount of uh, just to get in, to enter the building. And people don't complain about that, but yet I think when you look at, let's say, Israel, and you go to a movie theater, you're going to get your bags checked before you go to a movie theater. Right. I think that we should at this point because it never, you never know what could happen and when where the next terror attacks going to happen and when it's going to happen. So for companies that are listening to this or people that, you know, whether they're, they own a company or they work for a company or they're just interested in improving the security, uh, what would you say to those people as what would be an easy first step for them to take if they're looking to improve their security? Hmm, that's a challenging question, right? Because I think it depends on who they are and what their issues are, right? So if maybe- Kind of like the first step, like somebody's like, I don't know where to begin. There are so many things, there's so many technologies. I could spend a ton of money, I could spend a little money, I could go in this direction, I could go in that direction. I could have no privacy, I could have total privacy. Like, So I get, I, I'm putting myself in the shoes of somebody who would not- know where to begin and it, and would say to you, Peg, where should I start? And maybe that's kind of the best way to sort of formulate that question to you. So the way that we typically do that with a company is, um, and, and I, I don't mean to bring up our company about this, but we have all of these different systems up live and running at the center. And what we do is we walk folks through and we show them the different security technologies, the different, you know, the single pane of glass, that kind of thing, the facial recognition capabilities. And we talk about those in different use cases. Typically what that does for the client is it gives them an overview in a sense that Well, I could start here and then I could go here, right? So every company might start at a different place because there's some companies that are using panic buttons already. They don't need our panic buttons. So based on their budget and size and needs. Exactly. And and so it really does depend on that. So a lot of our process is about bringing them in, showing them the range of possibilities, and then really sitting down and having a good conversation about with them about, you know, what are the things that keep you up at night as the GM of a property or as the, um, you know, CEO of a particular hospital or a hospital system? What are the things that worry you the most? Is it- So essentially education is getting them to identify their concerns and then educate them on the various solutions that are available based on what those needs are. Yeah. and And I think it's as much about not just the education process, but once they get educated, you know, we have so many people that come in that just look at us and say, wow, I had no idea you could do that. Right. And so they really don't even have a good frame of reference of what's out there and and where to start. Right. So if they have no standard operating procedures that says when there's a fire, do this, then maybe that's where you need to start before you start putting all of these really sophisticated technology systems in place. Exactly. It starts at the beginning, what what they need now. They're not ready for something larger. Some some deployments need VMS. Others don't. They're just exactly. too small or they might some might need really unbelievable analytics because of the amount of crime in their building, but others just need analytics or just need enough just to get by. It just all depends depending on each uh, deployment. What is yeah, needed? That's exactly right. I mean, I, I don't think any two deployments are exactly the same, right? Right. Exactly. So what do you think, Peg, the next sort of big trend in security will be, or maybe is right now starting to emerge? So I think the real trend is is really around this single pane, right, of glass, if you will. It's about pulling all of that data together and utilizing some of the AI technologies out there to make us smarter about what to do, when to do it, and how to do it, um, to make us, uh, to, to help us develop better standard operating procedures. Um, the And then surrounding all of that is the crisis communications mechanism, right? So I have a, God 
God forbid, a terrible incident in a, in a hotel. I want to know not only that the public is safe and I want to be able to communicate with them effectively, you know, hunker down in, in, in where you are, everybody in this section of the building, move to this section of the building, whatever. I want to be able to communicate that to staff. I want to be able to get with the C-suite who are now alerted and know that they need to be around. I also want to know that staff that isn't on-prem, I want to know they're safe. I want to be able to inform them, don't come on-prem, stay where you are, et cetera. So being able to geofence around a particular location where your staff is likely to be living, being able to geofence that and get communications out to them without having to call every single one of them or text every single one of them, right? right. So that crisis mass communications capability. Um, yeah, the mass I, notification is big. It's, I it's think mass notification and I think this concept of single pane of glass where you're pulling all of the information together. So you're talking um, workflows in certain ways, Peg, right? The building. Yeah, work, they are. The workflows are important, and especially certain workflows that can be created based on the end user, that they can program based on the technology of that management system to be able to exactly. be able to, to, to say, okay, I want specifically these reports sent to my security guards every day or my security team. I want uh, these specific archive technology and for me to be emailed or have a text message of that when this occurs and it can be developed, not something where it's just one size fits all. That's not security at all. I don't think it is. I really don't think that is security. One size typically doesn't fit all for obvious reasons. No, there's too, so many variables that uh, I'm sure you would agree. Every single client's got something that's unique about their particular situation, whether it's the people involved, whether it's the location they're in, you know, whether it's the technology that is required or needed. Uh, and there are so many different ones that are out there. I mean, I think people, you know, education is very important. And if somebody just doesn't even know what's out there, I mean, going to one of these security shows is a fantastic way to educate themselves because they can just walk the show floor, like the show that was in Vegas we were at. There, you know, there will be another one in, uh, I believe it's in November at the Javits Center in New York City, and there are right. other smaller shows around. But it's a great place for people to go to just start to, you know, see what the capabilities <laughs> are that exist uh, because technology advances so rapidly. I mean, you know, drones were a big thing. I mean, well, geez, we're looking at drones that are taking out drones you know what right. i mean so it's like as soon as one technology comes out there's another technology to defeat it right there's anti-drone technology now so you got drone jammers right so somebody's you know flying a drone now you can implement a, a jammer and the drone you know crashes because you jam the signal so for every technology that's not that, necessarily bad especially around an airport right exactly. so it's not a bad thing to have something like that even though it might defeat another good purpose that you have for a drone right exactly so, so yeah. and and that's what we're seeing is you know for every new technology that is developed there's another technology that's being developed to try to get around it or to thwart it somehow or defeat it somehow. And so these things just push the envelope. Uh, half the time, I think, you know, it's the same companies doing the, <laughs> the stuff right. to try to break their own stuff. So you got to keep, you know, buying upgrades or whatnot. But uh, Well, and that's what we like to talk about when we talk about duty of care, right? So you have a duty to, to at least try to protect your guests, your staff right. and all of that. Mm -hmm. But that has to be viewed in, within reason. Right. And that is completely every up to interpretation. Exactly. And therein lies the issue. Yes. Up to interpretation. That's a crazy okay. uh, thing to have to deal with. And, pl and plus, when you're dealing with a lot of different personalities, a lot of different egos, a lot of different you know, people that all want their own thoughts and concerns to be voiced and heard and considered, it's like, well, you, you'd love to keep make everybody happy, but at the end of the day, you're not going to keep make everybody happy. You know, somebody's going to be upset with whatever you do. And so I think going into a project with that in the back of your mind is kind of a good thing because it's like, look, Definitely, I can't keep yeah. everybody happy. I'm just going to try <laughs> never, to do never, the best never, I can. Never make anyone always keep people happy. So let's talk about how, who you find first is it varies, right? you you go off, you work with first the end user as the client or the integrator. Does it vary with you job to job? It can vary job to job, but we tend to be more end user first and okay. then bringing the appropriate SI or whatever into the, into the, mm -hmm. or the vendor into the project. Makes sense. And are you married to certain uh, vendors or are you always looking for new technology? Always looking for new. 
You can't be like certain yeah, like so speaking of VMS and say, okay, this is it. And this is what you see a lot of integrators, security integrators are that they're just sold on specific VMS and they don't want to look elsewhere. And well, and, and there's a reason for that, right? Because the larger companies like the VMS companies and things like that, they have certified distributors of their product because that's their boots right, on the ground. Exactly. So um, they have, they're certified for certain systems, but not for other systems, which is why we kind of come in and look at it not from a, hey, I sell X and Y company VMSs. We come in it from, hey, what is it that you're really looking to do, Mr. Client? Um, and based on that, we can come at you with a variety of different um, capabilities that can get you there over X period of time, depending on budget and all the things we've talked all about. Right. Defi- everyone probably knows what a panic button is. They know what security cameras are. They understand uh, you know, some of the other things we've been talking about, motion detectors, things like that. Define VMS, because that's one of the biggest things I think we're seeing in this technology is VMSs are becoming more and more just not video managing the video, but managing many other entities in a security system. Kind of define VMS for our listeners. So VMS to start with was just that, right? It was a video management system. It was putting a series of cameras around whatever property or location you had and collecting all of the data out of those cameras and being able to use it forensically to, you know, check and see if somebody was cheating at a poker table or, you know, somebody was trying to get in through a window or whatever the case may be. Um, Now they sometimes form the hub for some of these systems and all of these other new technologies are plugging into them or they're plugging into other new technologies that um, you have broader capability than what you had before. A VMS typically wouldn't map a property. We have have systems now that will actually go in and literally read um, all of the Bluetooth and wireless access point in a hotel or a hospital, whatever, and map give us a 3D map of the property. We know exactly where everything is on that basis. Um, It could plug into asset tracking devices, being able to know where a crash card is or being able to ensure that um, all of the computers aren't being ripped off and walked somebody's walking out of the building with them. So it goes well beyond that. And at this stage of the game, people are slowly looking at it saying that's VMS is a key component of what we need, but it's not exclusive to what we need. Well, now with a facial recognition and you've got even gait analysis, you know, the way people walk is being uh, analyzed. And that's a crazy thing too. Are they happy? Are they sad? Are they awake? Not all of that kind of stuff, right? It's amazing now. that it's able to determine that just, I mean, in an instant, looking at the software that says, okay, this person's happy, this person's happy. Ooh, that person's angry. Boom, track them, see where, where they're going, what are they doing? You know, why? Is it because, you know, they just spilled their coffee or is it because, you know, there's some other reason why they're mad, you know? So, yeah, exactly. it's, it's a... It's a wild, and it's a really slippery slope, right? It's sort of the Wild West out there right now. Mm-hmm. And people are approaching it with a lot of trepidation, knowing that they have a responsibility to try to protect the guest and the staff um, or the customer and their staff. Exactly. At the same time, and, knowing that they can't be too big brotherish, right? And, and I think that we're seeing that it's the bigger cities have already gotten into all these stuff you're talking about, but smaller entities in North America have not yet. And they have to, don't you agree in so many ways, even, I mean, they might have the a good number of cameras or a good number of a security. They have to go to this direction just to make life easier for themselves than the time that's spent uh, doing things that could be done automatically for them. That well, a, a lot of it is going to be necessary just so that your your first responders, the police department, the fire department really has access to what they need exactly. access to. Yeah. They can respond effectively so that you don't have, you know, a, a, a Parkland shooting incident where the police didn't know where anybody was or what was going oh, on. Yeah. I mean, right? if we had, I mean, yeah, it, right. There's so many incidents like that. Again, um, I don't know that I'm the final arbiter of, uh, <laughs> What the what that line is between Big Brother and and duty of care and violating privacy? I think I think that the people that have gone through this would be willing to give up some of their privacy to save their families' lives, and you never know when that's going to happen. Think of Connecticut. Think of just specifically. Well, situation. I think with every yeah. incident that occurs, 
I think the tolerance of people to be willing to accept and to give up more of their privacy to be safer, that barometer continues to move a little bit more towards the side of, I want more security and I'm willing to give up, you know, more <laughs> privacy. Now, there'll come a point where people aren't going to want to move anymore. But I think every time that there's something that goes on, whether it's in a church, well, guess what? Everybody that goes to church or every Sunday or synagogue or the mosque is saying, you know what? These things are happening more and more. We're willing now to accept more security and give up some more of our privacy to ensure that our, we're safe and that the people that are coming to our to worship here are safe. And so I think, you know, unfortunately, and that's that's exactly what's happening, is they're willing to accept a little bit more and give up a little bit more because of what is happening on an almost daily basis. And it's it, it's scary and it's sad and it's frustrating and it's infuriating and it's all these other crazy you know, descriptive words that we can use and many of them we can't say on the air because, you know, of the way we, we really feel because it becomes so emotional and we become so passionate about it, especially, you know, people like ourselves that are involved in the safety and security industry. You know, we want to, at the end of the day, every single company involved in safety and security wants the same thing. And that is to keep people safe and that's to keep their assets secure. And people are also assets. So at the end of the day, that's what everybody wants to do. Exactly. How we get there, it's going to continue to change. We're going to see things move. Uh, and we're going to continue to see new and new, you know, better technologies come out every single day. So Peg, the um, big issue is going to be how to how to protect from nefarious use of those technologies, right? Yeah, that's, that's the whole other part of it is hacking the into them part. and protecting them and using them for yeah nefarious uses. Is right. I'll do a whole other show on that. Yeah. Um, where can our listeners and uh, those watching the video um, find uh, more about you and your company and and your services that you provide? On um, on our website www.technovationsolutions.com, and uh, we're right here just a few miles off the strip. So in Las Vegas. Yeah. So when they are, uh, uh, when they're in for a convention or a conference, we're always here. I wish <laughs> I knew that a couple of weeks ago. We I do too. In if I I'm shocked. Time. I'm shocked. I was there too. I cannot believe I thought that Pete hooked you up from ISC West. This is how much I pay attention. I just show up and that's the, yeah, I guess. No, you've the, been booked on this show for probably two months. And I never check. Yeah. It's, it's, at least two months. So yeah. I don't check. I don't check in those things. And absolutely. And uh, I'm learning more and more of the industry in a very short period of time. Uh, and I'm very interested in it. But again, I think that it looks, it goes back to specifically if I have been a bouncer myself and also a former teacher, so I can really look at a specific uh, protection, what happens in an environment and where, where those things need to take place. So that helps a lot in what I'm learning in this process that you, the knowledge base that you have, because as a teacher, when you're in a classroom, you have to have classroom management and you have to know what's going on exactly in that environment from the whole classroom of 30 35 kids and how we routines procedures different things like that and i understand school layouts based on that and then looking at some of my days a long time ago in security just understanding specifically how we kept buildings as a in as a bouncer and things like that so it's very interesting to learn where this industry is going and who knows huh, with this facial Look recognition. Look how far it's come. I saw, I, yeah, saw, exactly. I, saw, I saw this one product that just blew me away. Uh, there was technology at, at ISC West and I'm like, wow. If, you know, and I said to uh, one of my uh, cl colleagues, I said, can we integrate this? Because he yeah, said, we're looking to do that. And I said, wow. Because ultimately, uh, the more we can protect people, have the opportunity to protect people and we see so much more and more the security camera is that is the thing that saves or captures somebody that has committed a crime in some way all right so many of these technologies are becoming more and more integrated so any last uh, thoughts peg for our listeners today next time you're in vegas you need to come join us oh there you go come check out all these new these uh, neat technologies these new you got set up at your offices yeah. that sounds really awesome cool. yeah I I think my, I guess my thought is, you know, not to be intimidated by the process, right? There's yes. a rational way to do it. There's a rational way to look at the, the risk, the risk management side of it, the liability side of it against the duty of care side of it. And I think there's always a path forward. Perfect. Awesome. Perfect way to put it. So thank you so much for being on Safety Talk. And uh, thanks to our listeners for tuning in. And uh, you can always get more information at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com, past episodes, new episodes, and all kinds of safety news and information. So 
Any uh, last uh, words, Neil? And, uh... Nothing. I, I, should I tell you what I'm watching on Netflix? I'm always going to no. joke about that no. next. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, I was. Just, I thought this was very informative. I'm glad I was asking questions to hopefully know the answers to them. And as I'm learning this industry, so again, that's what I do as a, as a sponge, as a former teacher, and I guess I'm still an educator and always will be an educator, learning the process of understanding what's happening in security today. And uh, great guest, and thanks again for calling. Appreciate it. Thanks yes. for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Peg. And uh, until next time, everybody, stay safe. Take care, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Safety Talk. You can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com. Be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics. You can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through his speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.